fall festival, and uh, God has given us the gift of his master plan and understanding of his plan of salvation through the holy days and the annual festivals. And we're nearing that time of the Feast of Trumpets, starting just uh, one week from tomorrow evening. So it's getting exciting. But much of the world is in confusion and chaos. It's been deceived, and Mr. Weston addresses that question and that issue in his co-worker letter, which was just mailed uh, Wednesday, I believe, and you, so you should be receiving that uh, co-worker letter next week. In that co-worker letter, he refers to the missile crisis of 1962, that it was much, much more dangerous than most of us realize historically. He writes in the co-worker letter of September 18, 2019, The point is that life is serious, though it is evident by their actions that far too many people live only for today. This is not so true in some heavily Catholic and Muslim countries where religion is still taken seriously. However, serious religion does not mean serious truth. As John recorded in Revelation 12 and verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. Mr. Weston continues, No, it is not atheists alone who are deceived. The world as a whole, and this includes the religious world, has been deceived. Remember, a deceived person does not know that he is deceived. End of quote. So while the world is deceived, uh, God has revealed the truth and reality to us. What is truth? You all know John 17, 17. Jesus prayed, your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And God has revealed that word through his holy Bible, the scriptures. The deceived world does not know what is real and what is unreal. This is the latest scientific uh, American magazine says special issue. Truth, lies, and uncertainty. Searching for reality in unreal times. What is reality? They're saying we are being deceived, so how can we understand what is real in this unreal world. Let's turn to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Matthew 11. What's real and unreal? And what is truth? And what is deception? We thank God that Jesus Christ revealed to us and through the Scriptures the truth. Matthew 11 and verse 25. Matthew 11, verse 25. That time Jesus answered and said, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. And actually he had just been talking about the white throne judgment, the previous verses, how Sodom and Gomorrah would have be more tolerable in that judgment. And God said he has revealed them unto babes. You don't have to be the great intellectualist of the world. So Scientific Magazine goes on to say, the Scientific American, explores the subject of truth through three topics, of physics, mathematics, and neuroscience. It's in neuroscience. In a sense, we really are all living in different worlds. Reality is constructed by the brain, and no, no two brains are exactly alike. So how can we know reality is the question that Scientific American poses. Can we really find reality in unreal times? So just what is real? Uh, This coming week, as you consider the subject of reality, uh, note, which I've been noting here recently, the words real and really. Really this and really that. And uh, you understand just how people are emphasizing certain events or certain activities. We have a booklet that challenges our audience. The Beast of Revelation, Myth, Metaphor, 
or soon coming reality by Mr. John O'Gwen. But the most important question you need to answer is, what is the greatest reality? And that's the title of the sermon today, What is the Greatest Reality? In today's sermon, we'll briefly discuss five topics or questions, uh, different types of reality, what is reality, proofs of God, the greatest reality, and our need to embrace reality. The Scientific American mentions virtual reality and mathematical reality and neuroscience reality. And yet we have our own booklet that tells what reality is, the real God, proofs and promises, because the world is worshiping a false God, not the real God. So what are the proofs of God as the creator and the lawgiver and the life giver? We understand those proofs. So there is spiritual reality, there is spiritual truth, and we thank God that he's revealed that to us. The Scientific American says on page 27 about living in unreal times, still there can be no doubt that factors specific to our modern era are exacerbating our collective unmooring. Technological developments that abet the warping of truth and the moralization of lies. Social media amplifies toxic misinformation on an unprecedented scale. Now, this is not us talking. Uh, This is a social commentary or a scientific commentary, if you will. Unprecedented scale cyber attacks on election machinery and voter registration systems threaten not only election outcome, but democracy itself. Uncertainty in the world makes us all the more susceptible to such campaigns. So what Scientific American calls an unreal world is characterized by misinformation, warping of truth, and normalization of lies. But God's church counters that unreal world with the truth. And you know John 8, 32. You might as well turn there and just emphasis John 8, verse 32, which we've been preaching for decades to counter this unreal world of misinformation and moralization of lies. John 8, verse 32. And Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yes, we're experiencing godly reality because God has revealed to us the truth. But we have a responsibility toward that truth, he says in verse 31. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So we must keep up with that daily interaction of God's word and abide in his word. But how do our minds perceive reality? The uh, Scientific American goes into the matter of how do we understand reality. I'll just quote from the magazine, page 27. In this special issue of Scientific American, we set out to explain, explore how it is that we can all live in the same universe yet see reality so differently. Well, we already answered that question, Revelation 12:9. Satan's deceived the whole world. Basic science illuminates the deep, um, deep roots of this phenomenon. Even in physics and, and mathematics, truth is not entirely clear-cut. And mounting evidence from neuroscience indicates that our perceptions are not representations of the external world. Rather, our brains, each one unique, make guesses about reality based on the sensory signals we they receive. Well, Mr. Armstrong talked about that as well, and we know 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, which we'll get to later on, and that is our senses, the eyes, the touch, the feeling, the hearing. We perceive reality from the physical senses, but that's the around, and Mr. Armstrong would talk about what comes from the above. We'll discuss that a little later. 
Dr. Robert uh, Kuhn worked for Mr. Armstrong for many years and, of course, was instrumental in helping Mr. Armstrong talk about the spirit in man. And he, Dr. Kuhn had had his uh, research and doctor's degree in brain research. And, of course, they talked about the comparison of animal brains to human brains and what is the difference. Because the animal brain and human brains can be comparable physically, but the output is so dramatically different. How is that explained? Explained by the spirit in man, which we we'll, may or have time to talk about or not in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. But Dr. Kuhn writes in uh, his book, uh, Closer to Truth, Challenging Current Belief, in page 49 on Strange Physics of the Mind. The theories are fascinating, if not convincing. Is consciousness a fundamental essence of the universe, the real stuff of reality? No psychiatrists and psychologists still, and scientists to this day, do not really understand consciousness, what it is. They do not understand, as we do, the simple truth that the spirit of man combined to the human brain produces human mind power. That truth they don't understand. And that yet that comes to what we understand as consciousness and reality. Is consciousness a fundamental essence of the universe, the real stuff of reality? The easy answer is nice, but no. But could matter and mind both be derived from the same fundamental stuff, whatever that may be? I think we'll be astonished by whatever, uh, whatever uh, sits as the ultimate building block of reality. We should be more astonished that human beings can even conceive of it. It's dreaming like this, uh, like this transports us closer to truth. Well, it's not just closer to truth. We know the full truth that God has revealed. But can, can science help us understand reality? Uh, under physics, virtual reality, how close can physics bring us to truly fundamental understanding of the world by George Musser? That's in one of the sections in the American Scientific American uh, magazine. And on page 30, physics seems to be one of the only domains of human life where truth is clear-cut. The laws of physics describe hard reality. They are grounded in mathematical rigor and experimental proof. They give answers, not endless muddle. There is not one physics for every, there is not one physics for everyone and everywhere. Physics often seems weird, but that's a good sign. It is not beholden to preconceptions. In a world that cannot, can seem claustrophobic, where the same debates go round in circles, physics injects some genuine novelty into life and jolts us out of the rut we fall into. That's page 30 from the Scientific American. In other words, God has given us certain laws. He is the lawgiver. The laws of physics and mathematics enabled human beings to put 13 Americans on the moon and return them. Because there are absolutes, and science can mathematically figure what is the trajectory we need to send those uh, jets, those uh, rockets, up to the moon. And so we realize, yes, God has put in place certain laws. He is the lawgiver, not only physical laws, natural laws, but spiritual laws as well. So what is reality? The dictionary definition has the world or the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to an idealistic or notional ideal of them. Example, he refuses to face re reality. How many people have been in that condition? You may have even told that to someone as well. The state or quality of having existence or substance. And then there's a legal definition of insanity. Mental illness of such a severe nature that a person cannot distinguish fantasy from reality, cannot conduct her or his affairs due to psychosis, or is subject to uncontrollable impulsive behavior. 
So even one of the definitions of mental health, can you understand and perceive reality? So we've already answered the question on what is reality. John 8:32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But how do we know that truth? We know that truth not just from the physical senses. We know that truth from spiritual revelation. And uh, Mr. Wesson gave a sermon on the two trees. The one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, represented man's desire to determine by human reason what is right and wrong. The tree of life represented the revelation of God's truth to reveal the absolutes of a way of life that's right and the way of love through the commandments of God. So the one is revelation, the other is human reasoning. The human reasoning decides for itself what's wrong, right and wrong. But we already saw in Matthew 11 and verse 25 that Jesus said that he thanked God that he had revealed those things that is the truth and the way of life to the prevented them from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. We had a uh, Tomorrow's World magazine back in uh, was February, uh, March, April 2014. Uh, who has the truth? Here are all the great thinkers and philosophers of the uh, modern era. And were they the arbiters of what is truth and what is right and what is reality. Uh, the article inside is, What is Truth? by Wallace G. Smith. Can the truth be found through science, philosophy, or materialism? Does absolute truth even exist? You need to know. He uh, writes in the, on page 17, Science has given us amazing understanding how many aspects of our world work. But when we begin to look at what is the only real source of truth, we find it a poor source, indeed, mathematical truth, aesthetic truths, truths about our purpose and the meaning of our lives, even the most fundamental moral truths and the most basic concept of right and wrong. None of these is accessible through the microscope of the biologist or the telescope of the astronomer. The answer to the question, what is truth, will need to be found elsewhere. But that's a wonderful article on what is truth in the uh, Tomorrow's World magazine. I turn to Psalm 14, Psalm 14, and uh, by the way, uh, some of our ministers would say, turn to chapter 14, but I like to let you know there are no chapters in the book of Psalms. Uh, so it uh, says Psalm 14, not chapter 14. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. So who is rejecting reality? It is the one who is the fool. Psalm 53 also repeats that same reality. Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. So, what is reality? I asked that question in the uh, sermon on evolution or revelation. It was a continuation of the sermon on questions evolution cannot answer. This was question number 10 in that sermon. What is reality? Why can't they answer the question? Evolutionists can't answer that question. Because they deny the spiritual reality. They deny the spiritual dimension. So they cannot answer that question. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But what are the proofs of God? What proofs? You may know the traditional proofs. You just say, creator, lawgiver, life giver, sustainer, designer, fulfilled prophecy and answered prayer, or the way of life that works. But what personally proves to you that God exists? 
And what proves to you personally that Darwin's evolution is false and wrong? We have quite a few resources at uh, headquarters and on our website. Uh, the problems with evolution, we have several tele- telecasts. One I would recommend that you watch is on our website. Was Darwin Wrong? by John O'Gwynn. Just uh, amazing. He, he, he brings out these, let's say, uh, incredulous claims of uh, evolution that are totally false and very patently false. So I recommend that tele- telecast, Tomorrow's World telecast, was Darwin Wrong by John O'Gwynn. And we have several other ones. Uh, Darwin's Legacy by Mr. Mr. Weston. Why Creationists Are Wrong by Mr. Weston. Is Darwinism Dead uh, by Mr. Weston. Three Dangerous Lies of Evolution by Mr. Smith. And the one telecast I did. uh, Questions Evolution Cannot Answer. Had six of the twelve questions. I hope to do uh, the other six sometime. And then Mr. Wesson has a telecast coming up uh, on the November 10th, Evolution on Trial. And that will be the first time that we'll be offering Mr. Smith's book, uh, Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss. So <clears throat> that's coming up uh, November 10th, <coughs> Evolution on Trial. And then we have some uh, sermons as well. I mentioned uh, questions evolution cannot answer. Uh, evolution or revelation. And then there's the one sermon that focuses on the very power and reality of God. Uh, Mr. Wesson gave that sermon back here. Uh, I don't have the date some years ago. It's called, I am the eternal your God. I looked it up on our website, and it says, 30-minute report on Australasia by Regional Director Bruce Tyler. So I thought, oh, well, it's not there. But, but that whole sermon by Mr. Wesson preceded by a regional report by Mr. Bruce Tyler. But you'll want to see that telecast as a review. I am the eternal your God. And then, of course, we've had our telecast, Evolution uh, fact or fiction, actually, uh, Mr. O'Wynn's article in Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, 2005, May, June, 2005, Evolution, Fact or Fiction. <clears throat> and then we have the booklet that just came out in a little last, last year, uh, Mr. Smith's book, uh, Evolution and Creation, What Both Sides Miss. <clears throat> then we also have, of course, The Real God, uh, Truth and Promises. So we have a wealth of resources on creation, evolution, and the proof of God. So God is the creator. He's a life giver. The other question that evolution cannot answer, the one I posed was what is reality, because they reject the spiritual dimension. Question number six that I asked that uh, questions evolution cannot answer is what is the origin of life? Because they reject the creation account. Of course, we understand the origin of life is in Genesis uh, first and second chapters. But we also find that the intricacies of what God produced in life is amazing and incredible. The essential elements of life Bill Bryson's book, which uh, Mr. Wesson and I have quoted from from time to time, A Short uh, History of Nearly Everything, talks about the protein, which is one of the major elements of life itself. On page 289 of A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson, he writes, quote, For random events to produce even a single protein would seem a stunning improbability like a whirlwind spinning through a junkyard and leaving behind a fully assembled jumbo jet in the colorful simile of astronomer Fred Hoyle. So even here, an evolutionist say this is just really impossible, but we believe it to be possible. Page 289. 
Proteins, Bryson continues, proteins can't exist without DNA. And DNA has no purpose without proteins. Are we to assume then that they arose simultaneously with the purpose of supporting each other? If so, wow. That's all I could say. If so, wow. No, they didn't evolve spontaneously. And there are so many examples in creation of this symbiotic relationship. You can't have the bees and the flowers. Did they, did they evolve separately? Or did they evolve just at the exact same time so that they can exist together? The, the, evolution cannot answer these questions. And we know Genesis 2-7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living being. We know the source of human life. And, of course, we know the source of spiritual life as well. I turn there to James 1 and verse 17. James 1 and verse 17. I've quoted this quite often. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first roots of his creatures. Or as the King James has it, we of his own will he begat us by the word of truth. We are his begotten and children. We receive spiritual life through that begettle. So evolution cannot answer the question, what is the origin of life? And we know that Christ said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10 and verse 10. I'll just quote John 11 verse 25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, Though he may die, he shall live. Evolution cannot answer the questions of life and death. God has revealed that to us. Evolution denies the intelligent design of God. God is the life giver. God is the designer. In the Mysteries of Life DVD, uh, this is an incredible DVD uh, put out by Discovery Institute. How many of you have seen the video that shows the animation of DNA and RNA and all the intricacies of the cell in this DVD called Unlocking the Mystery of Life? How many of you have actually seen that? Uh, looks like only about, uh, ooh, only about 7% of you have seen it. It's an amazing video because scientists originally thought, well, the cell is the simplest element in life. And yet the cell is a universe of incredible operations, procedures, um, microorganisms, micro-machines, all dependent on one another. And it's just uh, fabulously illustrated in this DVD, Unlocking uh, the Mystery of Life. I hope to show it at one of the uh, forums for the Living University students uh, this coming uh, semester. But in that, Stephen Myers, philosopher of science, says, So everything we know in this life suggests that information-rich systems arise from intelligent design. He talks about information-rich systems. When you look at the DNA, some will say that is the greatest uh, holder of information in the universe. When you look at what is in the cell, it tells you this is incredible information. So those at uh, Discovery Institute talk about intelligent design. What do you make of the fact that there is information in life in every living cell, of, in every living organism? That's the fundamental mystery. Where does that information come from? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the question. We know at present there is no naturalistic explanation, no natural cause that produces information, not natural selection, no self-organizational processes, not pure chance. They do not produce information. But we do know of a cause which is capable of producing information, and that is intelligence. 
So when people infer design from the process of information in the DNA, they are effectively making what is called in historical science an inference to the best explanation. So when we find an information-rich system in the cell, in the DNA molecules specifically, we can infer that intelligence made a, had a role in the origin of that system, even if we were not there to observe the system coming into existence. And so there are these molecular machines. There's one called the bacterial flagellum, which consists of uh, 40 different parts. It looks like an amoeba, and it has a tail that spins. We were talking about it yesterday at lunch, and... Uh, it has uh, a motor, the 40 parts, as one of uh, Michael Behe, who has, uh, had been an evolutionist, a biochemist, wrote the book uh, Darwin's uh, Black Box. Uh, he was converted into understanding that evolution is false. When he saw this bacterial flagellum, he said, uh, well, if I have the quote, that's an outboard motor. That's design. That's no, that's not no chance of assembly of parts. Uh, that's uh, Michael B. Darwin's black box. He said, Hal Berg of Harvard has labeled it the most efficient machine in the universe called the bacteria flagellum. And the tail rotates, Mr. Wesson was reminding us yesterday at lunch, 100,000 RPMs. And it can stop very shortly and rotate in the opposite direction at 100,000 RPMs. And this is just one of the molecular machines within a cell. And then there's the RNA and the DNA and all the other aspects of it. It's so so amazing. Uh, Mr. We- Mr. Smith, uh, in a viewpoint uh, video, why is an intelligent design science? He said, you may have heard of the theory of intelligent design. It holds that certain features of the universe and of living things are best explained by an intelligent cause, not an undirected process such as natural selection. Seems simple enough. When only one, tr- when one truly steps back and looks at the evidence, Mr. Smith says in this viewpoint video, it is hard to find reasons for rejecting intelligent design as science other than fear, ignorance, or ideological bigotry. And I don't know about you, but I don't find any of these reasons very scientific. And that's from a uh, Tomorrow's World viewpoint. Why is it intelligent design science? Let me turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And uh, we realize you look at the creation, but you look at the the human cells or the cells of all living things. And you look at the human body and how amazing it's made. Uh, my wife and I uh, were able to see the uh, the exhibit on bodies. And uh, there was actually human bodies. The, supposedly the people had given permission uh, to give their bodies. And here was a human body with all of the nervous system and just that one system throughout the whole body was remarkable. And you have the muscular system, the skeletal system. Uh, when we were um, attending that particular uh, bodies exhibit in uh, Tampa, Florida some years ago, uh, there was a, an exhibit of a smoker's lung. It had a, a glass case and a, a lung. And the lung was all black from the smoking. And there was a, a biker just opposite me had you know piercings and his black jacket on and and he looked he looked at that lung and he said oh i better quit smoking and if you're looking it was just all uh, a black lung but when you look at the human body what did what did david say in psalm 139 i have to get here to psalm 139 and uh and verse 14 i'm sure you're uh, familiar with that Scripture, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, the human body and even the birthing process. And Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. 
In uh, Mr. Smith's booklet, uh, he talks about intelligent design. I want to comment on that briefly here. It's on page 31, Evidence of Design. When we open up the cell, we can see a world in which evolution cannot achieve the very things that must be achieved for the theory to be proved. In fact, we see a world that suggests quite the opposite has taken place. We see a world filled with evidence of complexity, planning, and purpose. We see a world in which reasonable individuals would conclude that intelligence design has played a role. The question at hand is whether a conclusion should be cast aside to make way for the fact of unguided evolution through purely natural forces. The evidence of modern biochemistry is clarifying. The inner realm of the cell reveals mechanisms and innovative solutions and systems that seem far beyond the reach of undirected and unintelligent processes like evolution. Far from moving us to cast aside the conclusion of design, the evidence moves us to embrace it. So these are just a couple of the proofs we've seen of the existence of God. Uh, what proves to you personally of God's existence and his character and his revelation? I'll just mention a third proof. We won't talk about it uh, extensively. But why Bible prophecy? Bible prophecy reveals the sovereignty of God, as uh, Mr. Smith and I have uh, brought out on some of our telecasts on some of the purposes of prophecy. Uh, turn to Isaiah, uh, the 46th chapter. Isaiah, uh, the 46th chapter. Isaiah 46, and uh, starting with verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So when we consider just three of the proofs of God, of fulfilled prophecy that God brings about, we had the booklets, of course, on Revelation, uh, unveiled, and our other booklets on prophecy, the Middle East and prophecy, and and so forth. Uh, we see that God fulfills prophecy as He's in charge, just as He read, we read in Isaiah 46, uh, verse 9. One other scripture is so powerful, and you know it, but I'll bring it here in terms of the reality of God, the proofs of God. Romans 1, the first chapter of Romans. And uh, so powerful. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world is invisible, attributes are clearly seen. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Yes, the creation. <clears throat> Even his eternal power and Godhead. <clears throat> so they, that they are with I'll excuse. So what proves to you God's existence and his reality? Next, I want to talk about the greatest reality. We've discussed various dimensions of reality. There is scientific truth and reality. There are absolutes that... Uh, we can depend on in God's creation. There's also the reality of pain. I know when I was having my back pain, it was excruciating pain. And some of you experienced not just pain, but excruciating pain. And you know that's a reality. Mr. Armstrong would talk about the born-again test because it tells us in John 6 and verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he would say, have you been born again? Uh, take the hat pin test. See if you're, you're still flesh. No, you experience physical pain. And that is real. But what is the greatest reality? We'll find the answer in part in Revelation 19. Turn to Revelation, the 19th chapter. 
and verse 6. Revelation 19. Well, we'll lead up to it here in a couple more verses earlier. Revelation 19. We'll start in verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. I've shared that with you before, but Mr. Armstrong used to ask way back in the decades ago, what is the greatest fact in the universe? In three words, God rules supreme. And that's exactly what this is saying. The Lord omnipotent reigns. He's all-powerful. Omnipotent means all-powerful. He rules supreme. And then, of course, that leads right into our marriage to the Lamb. So it's extremely important. So what is the greatest reality? We turn to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, and we again see the power and the reality of God. In fact, we have a sermon uh, by that title, The Power of God. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, you know, gives the dimensions, the depth, the height, and the breadth of God's creation. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, we'll start in uh, verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Now, when we look at nations, we see them very powerful. We know they could start World War III and cause cosmocide and destruction of all life on planet Earth. But God says to them, they are as a drop in a bucket. You take a bucket of water, you empty the bucket of water, and then you turn it one more time and another drop comes out. And God says, all the nations are just like that little drop compared to him. And are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor is be sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Oh, God calls the nations, compares them nothing. But, of course, you and I are something. We call ourselves nothing, but God sacrificed his son for each and every one of us. And so we have value. God values each and one of us. He wants us to be a part of his family. And we know that awesome purpose that God has for human beings. I won't turn there, but I'll just uh, quote some of these scriptures for you to show how God owns everything. He says, the nations are nothing and less than nothing and worthless. And he continues to read through the whole chapter of Isaiah 40. If you want to know the reality of God, But he tells us in uh, Psalm 22, verse 28, For the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations. Psalm 99 and verse 1, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established His throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. So the reality is that God rules supreme. How do we embrace that reality? How do we know that reality? How do we experience that reality? Turn to Proverbs, the first chapter. Proverbs 1. Proverbs, the first chapter. Verse 7, Proverbs 1. The fear of the eternal is, to be, is the beginning of knowledge. Well, this is true knowledge. It's true reality. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And to realize how do you know truth, knowledge, reality, he talks about these fools. In verse 28, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Verse 29, Proverbs 1, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's something you choose. And we know Deuteronomy 30:19. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. So God gives us a choice. And I hope that all of us do choose the awe and the reverence and the fear of the Lord. We've had, of course, quite a few sermons on that subject. But because we are God's children, He revealed us the truth. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. What an awesome reality, truth, promise. This is in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, uh, second chapter, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. And we already sang, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Again, it's God's revelation, the tree of life, that gives us the revelation from God of the absolutes, the way of life, the principles of life, the statutes and the judgments, the truth that makes us free. God has revealed that to us, even the deep things of God. And before that, of course, he's talking about uh, following that, the spirit in man, that, that human beings understand the spirit of uh, things of man, but not the things of God unless they have the spirit of God. So God not only rules the earth, He owns everything in the earth. And he up, I'll turn to uh, Hebrews, the first chapter, Hebrews 1. But He's revealed His sovereignty to us. He's revealed His character. He's even revealed His intimate thoughts to us. He's revealed to us even His throne room in Revelation, the fourth chapter. So God is, let's say, in my words, very kind to us to reveal those things to us. Hebrews, the first chapter. If I can find it here. Hebrews, first chapter. We find another amazing reality here about God ruling supreme. And, of course, that means Jesus Christ as great ruler and coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. But it discusses him here in verse 1, Hebrews 1. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, or ta panta, or that's panton, rather, through whom also he made the worlds, or the aeons, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things, that's all things is ta panta, by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus Christ upholds the universe and what we know of the universe, at least the latest uh, scientific information, there are tw- two trillion galaxies out there, not just one billion or one trillion, but two trillion galaxies out there. And what are they doing? Christ upholds those by the word of his power. You talk about the greatest reality of God ruling supreme. Jesus Christ ruling the whole universe by the word of his power. That's your Savior and mine. As I said, he was willing to 
give himself, purge our sins, and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. How do we embrace that reality? It means that we know God, that we ourselves know Him. How do we know Him? We have sermon number 486, Are You Saved? And sermon number 863, by the same title by Mr. Rod McNair, Are You Saved? And that addresses the question, do you know the Lord? Which, of course, the Protestants will ask you, but they don't know the answer to the question. Let's turn to 1 John, the second chapter. 1 John, the second chapter. Verse 4. 1 John 2, verse 4. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Do you know God, the Father? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you know? May you believe that Jesus is Lord. That's good. Do you know that he is Lord of lords and King of kings? That's good. But do you know verse 3? Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So we have, we participate in the great, greatest reality of knowing God by keeping His commandments. Of course, He's begotten us by His Spirit and given us life, and we appreciate that so great deeply. What about the rest of the world? Will the rest of the world actually come to know God as we know Him? Will they find reality in an unreal world, or will they find reality in a real world? Once the great tribulation begins and the millennium begins, turn back to Ezekiel, the sixth chapter, Ezekiel 6. And here we find a time when God is going to correct Israel in the great tribulation. And uh, he says in chapter 6 of Ezekiel, uh, verse 6, Ezekiel 6, verse 6. In all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, your idols may be broken and made to cease, your incense altars may be cut down and your works may abolish. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Eternal. One way of getting to know God is going through the tribulation and, and seeing everyone else dying around you. Then you shall know that I am the eternal. Verse 9. Then those of you escape will remember me among the captives or the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by the adulterous heart which has departed from me and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves. For the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. Verse 10. And they shall know that I am the eternal. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. No, they're going to face reality. The greatest reality of all. Verse 13. Then you shall know that I am the eternal. When they're slain or among their idols all around their altars. Verse 14, so I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla and all their dwelling places. Then shall they shall know that I am the eternal. Mr. Peter Nathan gave a sermon, number 933, Knowing God, a facet of the Passover. And he said this, in the first 40 chapters of Ezekiel, the expression, then you shall know the Lord, I am the eternal, appears 63 times. <laughs> well, maybe they'll get the message. Maybe they'll come to realize godly reality. Let's turn to uh, Romans 14. 
We realize there's some ways to getting to know God. I don't want to get to know God that way through the tribulation. But we also need to understand, as God rules supreme, that he owns everything. I'll just quote these as you're turning to Romans 14th chapter. He says in in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those that dwell therein. Psalm 50 and verse 9, he said, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your fields, for every beast of the forest is mine. You find all these scriptures that God owns everything. And the cattle on a thousand hills know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. So when you see a coyote or a fox, uh, who does that belong to? If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. And I won't turn there, but uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 29:14. Sometime we uh, read this during a Holy Day offering message. Uh, David was collecting all the materials to build the temple, and people were very generous in giving brass and silver and gold and all different kind of purple cloth and so forth. And David said in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14, But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So uh, you're thinking you're, you're giving what's yours. Well, in a sense, God gives it to you. Uh, but he says, what... David said, what I'm giving is yours anyway. You own everything. So we thank God for that. And he shows us here another aspect of ownership in Romans, the 14th chapter. Romans uh, 14 and verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? Oh, so my brother and sister in Christ is a servant of someone else? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will make it to stand for God is able to make him stand. So God owns every human being. Jesus Christ bought and paid for us by his shed blood. He owns us. Kurios in the Greek, Lord, means boss, means owner. So we realize God owns all the beasts of the field. He owns all the nations. He owns every person. He owns you, and he owns me. So how do we embrace reality? We thank God that he's revealed his reality to us and who he is and what he is, that he is spirit. And, of course, we've had sermons on the knowledge of God in introduction. Uh, That was a sermon last year. Uh, So we know God. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11. How do we embrace the great reality? I use the word embrace because it's an enduring term. My wife and I embrace quite frequently. Uh, It helps to lower your blood pressure, by the way. But uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, talks about the men of faith. Men and women of faith, Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So we embrace the reality of God by embracing the promises, claiming God's promises, so we are closer to him. And we're embracing the greatest reality. James, the fourth chapter, James 4. How do we embrace that reality? We embrace the promises of God. We claim the promises of God. And we also draw near to God. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So that's our loving relationship with our Father in heaven, with our our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We draw near to God. We live the reality of God by living the truth, Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we live in true reality when we live out, when we love our Father and love our Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in true reality when we love our Father in heaven and love our Savior, Jesus Christ. Scientific American Magazine, September 2019. Truth lies in uncertainty, searching for reality in unreal times. So scientists can understand the laws of physics and the natural laws that God has created, but they lack the spiritual dimension. They lack understanding the truth and the spiritual reality. But God planned for all the earth to know him. And that reality begins in the millennium. You don't need to turn there, but you know Isaiah 11 and verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So with the Feast of Trumpets just one week from tomorrow night, we'll be celebrating the greatest event in modern history. The current Tomorrow's World magazine, the September-October 2019 Tomorrow's World magazine, has the feature in it of uh, Dr. Douglas Winnale, Turning Point in History. And this is the last episode uh, of that Turning Point series over several years. We really appreciate uh, those significant uh, articles. And this last one is called, What is History's Ultimate Turning Point? Referring to the return of Jesus Christ, he says, When he does return, the world will be shocked and surprised. Furthermore, the scriptures reveal that the return of Jesus Christ will bring times of refreshing and a restoration of all things, Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. It will be a time of peace when people will not learn war anymore. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as we just read in Isaiah 11, verse 10. As people begin by the, to live by the laws of God and his blessings are poured out, the global environment will be restored, deserts will blossom, and diseases will be eliminated. Ruined cities will be rebuilt, Isaiah 64, verse 61, verse 4. And the family will once again be the fundamental unit of society, Malachi 4, verse 6. He writes, this is not a fairy tale that is too good to be true. This is all part of God's plan for mankind, brought about by the ultimate turning point in history. The return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Will you be ready, Uh, Douglas S. Winnell? Our mission, brethren, is to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for the greatest event in modern history, the return of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords to rule over all nations. But it's not just the greatest event in modern history, at least from Mr. Armstrong's opinion. I heard him say on the radio more than once, the greatest event in all history is the return of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. Our mission is to preach the gospel, the good news of that kingdom to the world. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Today, the world is deceived. But when we live the truth... We will not be deceived by an unreal, deceived world. The truth frees us from deceptions of Satan and his world. Thank God that he's given us access to the tree of life. And through the Holy Spirit, we can understand the deep things of God that he's revealed to us. There are two ways to know the greatest reality. Through God's punishment and judgment, as we saw in the book of Ezekiel, or by proving his existence 
and embracing his truth and reality. We read in Romans 1 and verse 20 that his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let's turn finally to Isaiah 55, Isaiah the 55th chapter. Again, we can know what is real in an unreal world. And thank God he's given us this awesome promise in Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the eternal while he may be found. Yes, he may be found now. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the eternal. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So let's be able to say along with the Apostle John, as we read in 1 John 2, 3, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. The greatest reality is God rules supreme. But we might also say the greatest reality is God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8, and verse 16. So God is producing a spiritual family, a family of kings and priests and judges that will be born as immortal, glorified beings into his family. Thank God that he is our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, to whom we will be married in the marriage of the Lamb. Thank God that he's producing a family, a spiritual family. We're called to embrace that reality and join in the reality and live that reality for all eternity. So let's look forward to our rejoicing in the greatest and ultimate reality of all.